Welcome back to the It's in Real Estate podcast, the show that demystifies the home buying and selling process. My name is David Grant. I'm a broker here in Salt Lake City for Grant Real Estate. Today on the show, I'm going to explain what a buyer's market is and when we will ever, if ever, be back in it. I'm going to be answering some questions from some high school students about real estate investing, and I'm going to give you my personal recommendation for learning how to become more self-reliant in DIY. Stay with us. Today on Market Watch, I want to talk about where we are currently in February. So based on last year's statistics, already we have sold 200 more homes than we did last year. So what do I mean by that? There are currently 200 homes under contract more than we had last year. Here's the problem. We have 200 less listings available this year than we did last year. So of the listings that are available, more of those listings are being taken. Less are being left to everybody else. And here is the worst part about that. All of the sales are averaging about 100.5% of its list price, meaning that for whatever it's being listed at, not only are they getting what they're asking for, but they're getting slightly more. So this is an average. So there are some few properties that they're not getting quite what they asked because they overpriced it. Not that the values aren't there, but that maybe the initial price was a little too high. But there are even more properties that are getting a crazy amount over what they're asking for. I'm seeing properties that are being asked for 450,000 that are going for 100,000 more than that with no appraisal contingencies. People are willing to waive all of their rights, which ethically as a real estate agent have a hard time getting behind. Unless like you really need a home. If you don't absolutely need a primary residence, I would say maybe right now isn't the best time for you. So, but that brings up the question of what's a seller's market? We all know that we're in a seller's market right now. So Ryan's on the show today with us. Ryan, tell me if I were to say, hey, what to you does it mean that it's a seller's market? What would you say? Um, sellers have the power. Right. Sellers do have the power, but do you know why they have the power? Probably because there's less being sold. So there's, there's way more demand than there is. You nailed it. It's like you uh, actually went to econ in high school. <laughs> so I'm going to give just a basic understanding of what an average balanced market is. We call it inventory, right? So if we have a certain number of homes available and those homes take a certain number of months to be snatched up, that determines what market we're in. A balanced market, meaning we are the sellers and the buyers are are equal in their intention to sell and their ability to buy. And we're coming to some conclusions where we're not giving up everything. You're going to have about six to seven months of supply available, meaning it would take about six to seven months for that amount of inventory to be purchased by the current demand. Now we have a huge demand, like you mentioned. So what would it take for us to be in a buyer's market? Anything seven months or more available inventory would then put buyers back in the driver's seat, which we typically saw in Q2, 3, and 4. Q1 typically is always a seller's market because people are waiting and then there's all these buyers. 
But then as the year goes on, the buyers trickle off and so it tends to even out. And in my first many years of real estate, that's how it was. Again, six to seven months is a balanced market. We're in a major seller's market. Do you want to take a guess where we're at right now with inventory based on the numbers I just said? We have a 0.4 month supply right now. So it would take less than half of the month to for the current supply to be snatched. Last year, it was 0.5. So it was literally half of the month, just two weeks, and every available home could be snatched up by the current demand. We're even less than that. So when are we ever going to get back into a buyer's market? Uh, when all of the buyers go away. We don't have that problem right now. We have a bigger problem, which is people, I mean, have you been watching my reels? The state is beautiful. Like when I show these homes all over uh, Salt Lake and Utah counties, and I'm showing anything with a view from these homes, it's like Utah is bragging. Like the sunsets are amazing. The mountains are amazing. It's snowing right now. It's beautiful. People want to live here. The economy is excellent. People are coming here from other states, like like I mentioned in last episode, New York and California, where their money was worth a little bit less, and they're coming here where it's worth more. So to reiterate, to end Market Watch, I'm going to read a, re- reiterate a couple of things that I've been saying for a few episodes now. The prices will rise by about 8.5% by the end of the year. It's not going to be 27% like it was last year, but it's still going to rise. Still a good investment. Try and find 8.5% in any other type of investment right now that's consistent growth. There's always going to be more sellers that enter the market in Q1. So just be patient. January is a terribly slow month. February is the beginning. Look for March and April. That's why if you follow me, I mentioned that if you're thinking of selling, I am happy to discount my commission to 1.5%. Take care of title fees. Take care of any like minor fixes, get the house clean, get professional photography, 3D walkthrough, take care of everything, consult on the best way to sell the home. Because I know that if you're thinking of selling, you're also thinking of buying, and I want to help you do that as well. Buyers are going to need to be creative. Remember this. Go back to my episode. I keep touting this one, the buddy system. We need everybody who's buying to get creative. If you have a significant other and you have dual income, wonderful. Use that dual income and find yourself a primary residence or an income property and let that money appreciate by 8%. By the way, because of inflation, if you don't buy anything, which is fine, everybody can do what they want, that money likely will decrease by 7 to 8% just based on inflation anyway. So it's going to go in the other direction. And to reiterate one more time, this is not a bubble. We'd have to have consistent months of decreasing values. We will not have that anytime soon. So get pre-approved, get your down payment squared away, get your finances in order, know the areas that work best for you and be ready to jump. Next up, I'm going to be addressing some basic questions on real estate investing from some high school students. So stick with us. So I'm originally from Dallas and Dallas has many suburbs. I've got a lot of nieces and nephews and two of those nieces are in Frisco, Texas right now. So an incredibly up and coming area. It's where Toyota moved its worldwide headquarters. It's where the Dallas uh, Cowboys have their 
headquarters they call the star. In fact, my nieces, their high school uses this indoor football stadium where the Cowboys practice called the star. That's where they play their high school games. It's unbelievable, the facilities that they have there. Anyway, my nieces, Emma and Sydney, and their friends, shout out to Ashley Y, Jada S, Alina R, and Megan P. Thank you so much for your questions that y'all sent in to me. I'm going to be addressing some basic things now. This is for a little bit of my younger audience, or if you're not so young, but you've never embarked on this process, and you're kind of afraid to ask these types of questions because you don't know where to start and you're embarrassed, oh, I should have started this long time ago, this is all for you. This is really going to help with basic understanding. Their question to start was, what is a mortgage? So mortgage, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. It comes from an old French word, okay? I don't know how to pronounce French words, but it's old French for dead pledge, meaning that the deal dies either when the debt is paid off or when the payment fails. So something is dying. The debt itself is paid off or the payment itself fails, meaning you stop making payments. That's where it comes from. There's lots of kinds of loans, and I'll get to that in a minute. But this is the type of loan that generally requires something down uh, because they want you to put skin in the game. So that's what we call a down payment. It's just a lump sum of money that you put up front. And then the rest of that payment for the house, the bank is going to give you that amount of money. And then the basically the bank is going to own that property and you're going to pay them and they're just going to charge you a little fee. And we call that interest. So everybody wants to make money. Now, if you already have the full amount in cash, great. That house can be yours right now. But if you don't have that, which most people do not, then the bank's like, well, listen, if we're going to loan you money, we want that money back and we want a little a little extra. And that's how banks make money. And so this may not mean a lot to those of you who are brand new to this, but look up interest rates. Those are important. So when my parents first bought a home, it was like 14%. That's a lot of money that the bank wants back. But right now it's still historically low. This is a great time for you high school students and those who have never invested to consider saving for a property because we're still under 4%. So for just under 4%, a little bit extra, the bank is going to give you money. Their second question was this, how do you start saving for a house? This is actually a really good question because when I was younger, I actually never thought like this. I came from a really big family. I knew ahead of time I was going to have to pay for things on my own. If I wanted something, I would have to work for it. I've had a job since I was 12 years old with my sister. She was a soccer ref. Soccer's a big deal in Dallas. And right behind our house were all these soccer fields. And every Saturday, I'd open the garage door and I'd walk back to the soccer fields and I would be a linesman. I'd get paid $12 a game. And they were terrible games. And it was really funny to watch parents yell at each other and then sometimes fight with each other. That was something else. I remember when I became a ref when I was 14, (laughs) I had to send parents to their car because I gave them a red card for yelling at me, obscenities. It's inappropriate behavior, but I started learning how to work from a young age. And so this is my suggestion. When you get paid, whether that be from a family member who's paying you to do a chore or an allowance, or if you have a job, 
pay your bills first. If you have debts, which I don't really know what your debt would be in high school. Maybe you owe your parents something. Maybe you wanted to be independent and so you bought a car and you took out a loan to get a car. Okay. Pay those debts if you have any. And then you need to pay yourself something. I would say good principle to start out young, pay yourself 10%. Put that into a savings account. Have that money be separate from all the other money that you have. And and by the way, if you're saving up for college, like if you're me and you're kind of dumb and you're not asking the right questions, there's probably a lot of ways I could have avoided student loans or taking out as high of student loans as I took out. They gave me, hey, we can give you all this money. I'm like, sick, I can pay for college and I can live on this and I can eat at Del Taco every night. And I did. And then I had to pay all that back. (laughs) So for a long time. But if you're saving for college, I would say have a separate fund for your college and then have a separate fund for your house. It is a really good idea to have your money work for you, which at a young age, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking of how can I make it to spend it? But I promise you, you're going to want that money to grow. So Another good way to do that, and again, I'm not sponsored by anybody that I'm talking about on this show, uh, which would be dope, by the way, if I was, but I'm not. There is an app called Acorn. It's kind of cool. What it does is every time you make a purchase, it's linked up with your credit card or your debit card. It's going to round up a purchase. So if you buy something for $29.52, it's going to round up to $30 and it's going to take the difference and it's going to invest it for you. Investing is an extremely important thing. If you feel like maybe a house isn't for you because where you live isn't where you want to stay or where you live like Utah is really expensive or even in Frisco where these girls are going to high school right now and they want to stick around. It's it's also actually very hard to buy there as well. So if you don't know how to start, hey, get your money to work for you at a young age. Let that grow. It's going to be in a separate account. And then in the future, 10 years down the line, if you want to start paying for things, that money's going to grow all on its own. And you won't even think about it because it's cents on the dollar that you're losing. That money's out of sight, out of mind. So those are some great ways to start saving for a house. To reiterate, always pay your debts first, your bills, your debts, always pay those off aggressively. And then anything extra, try not to buy the most expensive shoes you've been looking at on StockX maybe invest that money at a young age and realize five years from now, you won't even remember those shoes that you didn't end up getting because they were $300. All right. That actually takes me really well to the next question, which is how do I get out of debt? So I'm going to talk real quick. There's good debt. There's bad debt. When I say good debt, I mean anything that isn't going to take money away from me faster than I'm able to either make money or that the thing that I purchased is going to make me money. So I'm going to reiterate that. If I buy a house and that house goes up in value by 8%, just if you're if you don't know how to do that, it's very simple. If you buy a $200,000 property, multiply that by 0.08. That amount on your calculator is how much that is going to go up this year in value. You're making money. If that debt is taking money away from you faster than you can make it or pay it off, 
and you seem to like can't get above water, that's what we call bad debt. That can be in the form of a car. Cars do depreciate. Do not be fooled by what's going on right now. Cars, yes, we have this lull because of the shortage of cars where they're scarce too. But that's going to change when chips come back into play and cars become a bigger deal. Credit cards are the number one killer, guys. I'm telling you from personal experience. I got a credit card and I thought it was the coolest thing on the planet. I had a college credit card through Wells Fargo at 21 years old. I had an $800 limit and I maxed that thing out super quick. And then I paid it off and I thought, oh, I'm so proud of myself. And Wells Fargo was like, hey, really good job. Guess what? We're going to reward you for doing that. We're going to up to 4000 <laughs> I was like, oh, stop, please don't tell me these things. And then I maxed that out. I was able to pay that off. Thought I had, you know, was able to avoid death. And then they go, hey, really good work. Great job. We're going to up it to 13 grand. And then I got wise and I never maxed it out. And I started just paying it off every month. And then they're like, hey, by the way, great work on your credit. We're going to up it to 25 grand. And I was like, I have to not use credit cards anymore because this is too tempting. That's me. That's not everybody else. So if you have credit card debt, I would say maybe get out of using credit cards. And at a young age, people are saying, well, David, we need credit. Great. Again, I'm not sponsored by anything, but there is a debit card called the Extra Visa. It's a debit card where you can make a payment. It's going to front you that money. And then the next day, it's going to take it out of your account like a debit card does, but it's going to call that a credit payment because it gave it to you ahead of time and then took it out the next day. That's a great way to both have responsibilities so you're not spending money that's not coming out of your account right away and you're building credit. Credit is a stupid game that we all have to play that only matters if you want to buy big purchase ticket items like a car or a house. But beyond that, I don't really worry about credit. So in your situation, as you're building credit, get yourself a debit card that can build credit with. Do not spend money you do not have. And the best way to get out of debt, in my opinion, is you're going to have to sacrifice everything that you love so that you don't have to give in to this monster, which is debt. I promise you, uh, it's good to have savings, but you really can't build savings that truly grows exponentially until you're out of really bad debt. You can build savings even when you buy a house. You can build savings even with student loans. Student loans, I had really loan payments. Did you ever take out student loans, Ryan? Yeah. Do you remember what your interest payment was? Or sorry, your, your interest rate? I had some that were 2%. I had some that were 6.8%. But again, I have friends who never paid off their student loans, and they bought houses instead. Because again, the houses were appreciating at a higher rate than the student loans was taking money from them. And they said, why would I spend all this money to get out of debt when I could spend it on this house that's going to make me money? That's not true for credit cards. Do you even know what your interest rate is on your credit card? I want to say 16. Yeah. One of them, yeah. Yeah, they're high. My first college credit card surprisingly was the lowest. It was 13. I got really lucky with that one. But then I got a really nice Chase Reserve credit card. And if you did not, it gives you a year of 0%, right? If you did not pay that thing off in that second year, 
it was 22%. Good luck getting your head above water if you have any significant debt there. So I would say this is the best way to get out of debt. Sacrifice everything that you love. Limit your personal wants and only pay for the things that you need. If you like live at home with your parents or if your circumstances allow, try and earn money, pay off your debt, and any available funds needs to go to that. All right. Next question. Can I still buy a house if I don't have enough money for it? (laughs) I understand why this question is being asked. Because at a young age or even as an adult, sometimes you cannot fathom. How am I going to afford this? Were you thinking, Ryan, about buying a home as a teenager? If so, never seriously. Yeah. yeah I don't know that ever. Never ser- When did it become a more serious thought for you? When I had a family. When like you had a family, like- right? The necessity was driving that, right? Yeah. And when you started thinking, oh man, I need to buy a house, and you already had a family, about what age was that? Um, close to 30. Okay. So you were about 12 years older than some of the people asking these questions. Yeah. If you and I were smarter, what do you think we could have done in 12 years? I don't know. Differently. Yeah. Save money. Save money is probably the number one thing, right? Get educated about what, you know, what, what the options are for buying houses. Exactly. And the second thing is arming yourself with knowledge, right? So you need to know what does this process look like? So can I still buy a house if I don't have enough money for it? All right. I'm going to say this very blatantly. I love real estate and I love my clients who want to buy real estate, but you should never buy anything you do not have the money for. That I can tell you definitively will only get you into deep sadness because anytime you do end up making money after that, it doesn't ever go to you anymore. It goes to the things you thought you wanted. Now, there are loans that you can consider getting like student loans. I took those out. And had I been smarter, I would have just taken out just enough to pay for school. And then I also had a job. I did work and I had an athletic scholarship, so I could have used that money more wisely. I didn't need an excess. So don't take out an excess of loan that you do not need. But there are loans out there where you do not have to put down much of a down payment. So when you're asking me, David, can I still buy a house and I don't have enough money for it? This question could be interpreted. I don't actually have money for a down payment, a lump sum right now, but I can pay a monthly fee. I'm already doing that with rent. I'm already doing that with my bills. Okay. There are loans out there for the military, for really rural areas that are zero down. Those are called VA loans for the veterans or USDA loans for like farm communities. We no longer have any of those USDA loans here. We used to. Eagle Mountain and Saratoga Springs used to be that way seven years ago. Now they're not. Uh, Once the population hits 35,000 or more in a city, it no longer is eligible. Lots of people are VA loans. By the way, if your significant other is a veteran, if your parents are a veteran, you can really like lean on these things. And you can get loans through these ways. So ask more questions that way. Or 3.5%. That is an FHA government subsidized loan. And if you're in the state of Utah, you can ask for what's called a Utah housing loan. In addition to that, where they will give you the money for your down payment. And then you have to pay them back at a slightly higher rate, typically in the fives, until that specific amount is paid back. So to answer your question, you need to ask more questions. 
in the place that you live. Can you afford a house if you have no money? Absolutely not. But if you're already paying rent and you want to get into something equivalent to that where you're basically going to be paying that same amount in the mortgage anyway, either ask your family for help for like a gift and pay them back. That's hard to do. I would never do that in my family uh, just out of respect for our relationships. It's not like good in my situation, but in other situations, some families can loan each other money. Do you think that in your family, Ryan, because you also come from a pretty large family like my own, is is money the type of thing that you guys could, I don't know, help each other out with? I know some of everybody's circumstances vary and it is based on personality and relationships. My family, it's just safer not to. Uh, we can help each other out with services, but not necessarily money. What about you guys? Yeah, and no, I think it's generally a good idea to like, Try and figure things out without going the family yeah. route. I think that one of the having that as a as a safety net is always takes some stress out. But if you can if you can avoid asking your dad for money or something, whatever, you're probably going to be happier down the line. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Bottom line is, start young, get a job, start saving, invest that money, and then you'll have that down payment. Next question: How long do I have to pay back a loan after I take one out? Those specific things are based on the loan that you're taking out. So sometimes it could be 30 years. Sometimes it's 15 years. If you do a 15-year loan, though, it's your payment's just going to be a little bit more, but you are going to pay less extra. You can always pay off your mortgage early. So a great suggestion is if you get into a loan that's 30 years long, that's how, lo- that's how many years it's going to take to pay it back, If in that year, you make all 12 payments, right? There's 12 months, you make one payment a month. If you make one extra payment a year, just 13 payments, you don't have to make it at any specific time. Just you can spread it out over the months or you can just pay two in a month, right? If you have the money, if you pay 13 payments a year, you will save seven years off of those 30. So you will only pay for 23 years instead of 30. Now, if you paid 14, it just keeps growing and growing. So again, the more money, like I mentioned before, that you can pay toward debt, the better it's going to save you in the long run. All right, last question. This one I don't have tons of time for because I don't even know who really can explain it. How do taxes work? Listen, I actually really wish high schools did a better job of preparing the youth because taxes literally affect every single person, but I don't uh, know one theorem from calculus. I don't never actually, you know why I didn't remember it? Because I never took calculus. I think trigonometry was the highest I ever went. I don't use math, but I deal with taxes. Not only do I deal with taxes, I have been audited by the IRS, which is super fun. And then here's the funnest part about it. When you're audited, they go, we're going to keep our eye on you and probably see you next year and the year after that. So I've been audited three times and I've passed each time. It's just been very grueling. So in answer to the question, how do taxes work? My first answer is, who knows? My second answer is, most likely you're not self-employed. If you are a TikToker, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe you're self-employed and you need, and you're, but you, to be on the creator fund, you'd have to have like a million plus subs. Anyway, let's just assume you got a job at Jamba Juice like I did in high school and you get a W-2, meaning you get a pay stub, you get a check either in the mail, they give it to you or it's direct deposited. 
if you are a W two employee, which I just I just envy you because you're you know you're going to get that money each each every two weeks. Your company is paying half of your taxes. Those taxes are probably in the fifteen percent range, meaning that whatever you earn, fifteen percent will be deducted because the government says thank you for all the money that you give them. Your company's going to pay 7.5%. You're going to pay 7.5%. So anytime you get paid, you're going to see a little taken away. Here's the best part, though. You're going to get that money back. Maybe not all of it, but you're going to get some of it back. And when you're a W-2 employee and you're not making a crazy amount because you're in high school, the IRS doesn't actually care if you file your taxes because they know they owe you money. So always make sure that you are doing TurboTax or H&R Block or getting the help of a parent. My uncle was a CPA and uh, he you know, helped us when I was younger. Now I have like a CPA for real estate that I run all my stuff through. But the best way to understand taxes is do your best to stay on top of where your money is going. Look at your pay stubs find out how much you're losing each month, and then realize that at the end of the year, you need to file those taxes and get that money back. And it's such a bonus. Thank you so much for all those questions. I really appreciate my nieces and their friends for sending those in. I really hope that this helped my younger audience and those starting out. Stick with me for tips on how to become a little bit more self-reliant in the DIY area. Stick with us. All right, this last segment is a brief one, but it's really, really important. I think as somebody who was given zero knowledge from my parents on how to use tools or how to become self-sufficient as a woodworker, all I really did was just, the, I was going online. It Literally, I would go online on America Online, if you guys remember that, and I would log in. And at the time that I logged in, it would take one of the phone lines over. So if I was on it, it meant nobody could use the phone. And I would download uh, clips on how to use certain tools. It would take about an hour to download a one minute clip on how to like use a drill. Now everything's so fast. So I learned over time, and the very first project I learned how to do was put flooring down in a half bath. But what I didn't know was that when you put flooring down, you're supposed to take the toilet up, put the flooring down, put the toilet back down over it. How do I know that? Well, when I left to go to college here in Utah, I got a funny call from my mother where she said, hey, we had our toilet replaced. By the way, (laughs) the plumber said, this is the most amazing job he's ever seen because I literally fit the wood floor perfectly around the existing toilet instead of just taking the toilet up. He goes like, I've never seen that. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know you're supposed to remove the toilet. It seems so daunting to remove a toilet. Now, have you ever removed a toilet, Ryan? I have. Okay. How hard was it? It's not hard. You just need to know what to turn off before you do it. Yes. There is a water supply. Got to know to turn that off. But in essence, plumbing in its physics, it's very simple. It just is, gravity is amazing for plumbing. Thank you, gravity, <laughs> for taking away 
uh, yeah, what it takes away. But here's the deal. For everybody who is thinking that becoming a little bit more DIY is daunting, I love this quote. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? It's a well-known proverb. Basically, it roughly means that the primary driving force for most new inventions is a need. How about we start reinventing ourselves? The way that we're going to have to do that is most of us are going to have to stay put. So if we're going to have to stay put and we're not going to be able to necessarily sell right now and buy something we really like, then why not redo areas of our home that we need to redo? Now, I had a conversation with my sister, Hillary. She also is raising her family in Frisco. She said they have the money. They want to redo certain things in their very beautiful home there. But number one, supply chain issues are precluding them from even getting the materials. But that's not even the biggest problem. They can wait a couple months and get it. They cannot find a single person to do any of the work. And so she called me because I've done work at my parents' house. And I have literally flown home to Dallas. They flew me home bought materials, and I have done work at my parents' house for them. So if this is your problem, then maybe it's time to start learning how to do things you otherwise would never have thought you'd learn how to do and start breeding that confidence. And we can start small. So this is my suggestion. To reiterate, I am not sponsored by Home Depot, although I would love it because I live there. I have been there so many times uh, over and over and over and actually really do like just walking around it and thinking of all the things I can do. <laughs> That's how I am. They had they used to have in-person DIY workshops. I learned how to tile at one of them. I learned how to properly caulk, uh, like bathrooms at one of them. I learned how to use certain routers. If you're a woodworker, a router is one of the most versatile tools there, that exists. But ever since COVID happened, they shut those down. And they put them online. Now, anybody has access to them. Now, you could just as easily go on YouTube. But what you're going to find on YouTube is a vast variety of things that either waste your time or you don't know if it's really good information. Home Depot is legit. They have an incredible DIY section. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go on their website. And right in the middle, toward the top, is going to say DIY projects and ideas. What you're going to do when you click on that is scroll to the bottom and you're going to see free DIY workshops. And this is what it's going to show you, how to paint a room. Now, Ryan, have you painted a room before? Yeah. All right. Have you done a good job of it? Um, I've gotten better. <laughs> okay. Why would you say that you've gotten better? So many people think painting is pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, but then you start to realize that there's some tricks to it. <laughs> there are some tricks to it. It takes a long time. They not only have how to paint a room, but they have three different versions scaling up to more advanced. They're actually pretty intuitive. And they give you some tips that are going to save you from losing your freaking mind. They're going to have one on how to install a toilet. They have two different classes on that that I saw. A big one that I think people don't realize is super easy is how to repair drywall. That one can be really daunting because it seems like the vast unknown. But if you knew the basics of what drywall is, how it's installed, you would be like, oh, literally, I could fix this in 30 seconds. All I need is just the right materials. It's that quick. It dries quick. It's easy to mess with. Drywall is awesome to know how to work with. And it would make you feel like you can start actually filling out a space that's unfinished, in my opinion. You can learn how to do things that are really daunting in theory, like how to install a faucet. Anything dealing with plumbing and water is daunting to me. 
Uh, tile backsplash. Man, what a great way to really enhance a room for probably the cheapest amount of money and the most bang for your buck, a tile backsplash. If you learn how to tile a backsplash, you can learn how to tile a shower. You can learn how to tile a shower surround. It's pretty amazing uh, to go from there. You can learn how to swap out ceiling fans and other lighting. Again, you want to watch this because you don't want to shock yourself. Yeah, it's electricity. I've done that. It's not fun. Vinyl flooring. I have installed so much vinyl flooring. Have you ever done flooring, right? I've done vinyl flooring before. How was it for you? A lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Yes. But again, you know, if you know some tricks, yeah. things go a lot smoother. It does. Like, especially if you have tools that maybe you have four tools, maybe get six. Because a sixth or a seventh tool can do that thing that is taking you an extra hour. I've done so... Vinyl flooring is very straightforward. However, uh, houses aren't. No house is square. No room is perfectly square. Everything has so many like different cuts. Do not fear. This is very doable, I promise. And then for very basic level stuff, just to brighten up the space, how to start a garden. I have no idea how to take care of a plant. I'm just learning how to take care of a CC plant that I was given for my birthday last year, and it's still alive. I am succeeding. And actually, I got to be honest, I love that stupid thing. I pull it out from the side of my room where it is and I put it in the sunlight and I feed it every week with water. I don't know what else to do. And it grows. And I'm thinking, man, I'm taking care of a life. And then lastly, this one is probably the biggest bang for your buck because it's so simple. They will literally teach you tricks on how to clean anything. It is so interesting. All the things that you can learn how to do to clean that maybe you didn't realize grime built up on it's going to smell better. It's going to look better. You're going to feel better in your space. My suggestion is as you're saving up for a future property and as you consult with me about that, go ahead and go on Home Depot's website, look up some of these DIY projects, gain a little bit of confidence in this. And then as you gain confidence and start learning how to use tools, it's going to basically open up a whole world for you where you start gaining more confidence, where you don't feel like you have to rely on everybody else to improve your life. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for being here today. We covered a little bit about what is a buyer's market and will we ever see it again? Probably not. And then we talked about some basic questions for how to invest in real estate, starting young, or if you're just starting out, some simple things that can be done today. And then lastly, let's become a little bit more self-reliant in DIY. Go on Home Depot's website, start looking at the videos, try your hand at it. The worst thing that can happen is you might punch a wall uh, and you might have to repair that wall, but you're going to learn how to repair it. So punch that wall and then repair it. That does it for us here at the Mountaineer Studios in Draper. Thank you so much to producer Ryan for all the work that he does for editing our episodes each week and getting those out to us. Stick with us. We'll come back to you next week with new content. Thanks again. Thanks again.